it's amazing how God kind of brings people together and connects. So really, in my wildest dreams, I would not have imagined in Northern Ireland for, to establish such a, a relationship. And really, we've been also praying about, you know, connecting with more, you know, churches in the U.S. And so when, when Pastor Andy came and we connected, it was just a really uh, unique experience. And my wife was the one who, to send me here. So I come with her blessing. She actually said, give them the night at the zoo experience. So I was like, what is that? She said, well, you know, at night at the zoo, at nighttime, all these ancient figures come alive and he gets to interact with them. And so she said, well, when you read the scripture, please bring that ancient part of our history into them. And so I came with her blessing to share with you a little bit of, um, about us. Can I uh, show off my wife? Are we talking about her? There she is. She's not my daughter. She's my, my wife, the far right. Her name is Hannah. She was actually born and raised in the U.S. She was born in New Mexico uh, in a hippie family and ended up in uh, Maryland. Uh, she immigrated to Israel in 1992, which is an amazing story in itself. And uh, that's our first daughter, the beautiful girl next to her. Her name is Desta Rina. So your name, Joy. It means in Hebrew, Rina. It means the same thing. Desta is an American, my native language. Uh, and she, we named her because that's actually what uh, we read in the scripture. In Psalm 126, it says, when the Lord brought us back into the land, we were as people who were so happy. And he made us glad. And so we named her out of that. And then our second daughter, her name is Kidan. You could show the uh, bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah that she did recently. That's her. All grown up, at every 12 years of age, young girls get to celebrate uh, what we call the bat mitzvah celebration, which is coming of age. They read from the Torah, and for the first time in their life, they make a conscious decision to follow Yeshua, to obey his commandments. And so it's a significant time, and she, was, she did an amazing job this year. It was her. Her name means uh, covenant of grace which is actually what happened in our lives. I came to Israel as a non-believer, and uh, three years into the country, I'll share with you about it later, I came to faith and entered into this covenant of grace with Yeshua. So that's her, Kidan, and then we had, uh, see, we, we started with two girls, and parenting was so easy. You know, it was just amazing. So, well, let's have some more. And then we had Mati, and he's... Uh, just turned nine. Actually, I left on his birthday. We celebrated his birthday. Just turned nine. He's a wonderful, musical, gifted kid. Um, and then his younger brother, Tzuriel. Mati, actually, Matan Oz means the giving of strength, which is also something that we believed that when we come to this covenant of grace, we receive the Holy Spirit. He gives us the strength. So that's his name, Matan Oz. And the younger one, cute boy and he knows it his name is Suriel and you can imagine after that we stopped having kids two boys was was enough recipe for us and um actually by the way that's a good recipe right beautiful kids so Suriel uh means um God is my rock that's what we need in Israel every day we have to remind ourselves we need God to establish us in this nation so this is my beautiful family, and I um, wanted to introduce you. And I pastor a congregation named Tents of Mercy. Um, this is actually uh, a congregation that was established by my wife's dad. Things like that happen sometimes. In-laws can pass out and you can have good relationship. He is a wonderful man, a man of God. He's also immigrated to, from the States. And he had this vision when he came to Israel. It was in 1991. The vision was he saw this vision of an oasis, an oasis of people uh, where they could come into a tent and be refreshed, relieved, and then being sent out. And that actually that happened during the time of many immigrants coming from the so former Soviet Union when 
communism fell and other nations. And so there was a lot of new immigrants, Jewish immigrants coming into the land. And that was part of the vision to establish some kind of humanitarian aid work while also establishing a messianic Jewish community. And the leading verse for that actually was this amazing verse. It says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob tents, which is all the Jews coming back from the, from the nations. You know, you can imagine, where, where do you think I'm from? Do you guys know? Sweden? Probably, right? I'm, I'm like the most Jewish typical face you've ever seen, right? So I'm from Ethiopia. My wife is from America. And uh, Israel is like a big family re reunion of thousands of years. When I went to uh, language school to learn Hebrew, it was an ancient language. But I was sitting by people from England, America, Cuba, Mexico. And we were all sitting and learning this ancient language, which was resurrected. Actually, no one spoke it 100 years ago. Yeah, it was completely resurrected which was an amazing experience for us. But it shows you, like what our prime minister said, you need to have faith and miracle to live in Israel. So God gathers us and brings us, and then he says, I will have mercy on their dwelling places. You see, the gathering of Jewish people back into the nation of Israel is not just to gather us and have like a, a family reunion. Can you imagine people from Ethiopia and Russia getting together? Sounds romantic, but realistically, it's not so easy. It requires sort of like death to, to really enjoy that. But God had this humor in him, so he brought us all back. But he says, my, my reason to gather you is not just to gather you. It is so I can have mercy on you and have a relationship with you. And so that's basically what actually happened in my life. I came to Israel not knowing Yeshua, not knowing the Lord, actually not being a believer at all. Just the mere history of our people, of my family, how they ended up in Israel, and how I was part of the Israeli community, and we had so many family members. That was what intrigued me to come to Israel. But then I found Jesus. So that's what happened. And then he says, I will bring them, I will have mercy upon them. And their congregation shall be established before me. So how about a verse for that? So that's our work is. And, and our Tent of Mercy congregation is actually a very diverse community. We have uh, 19 nations in our community. We try to speak one language. We used to have three languages from the pulpit. One person would speak in English or Hebrew. And it would be translated into many Russians. So we had Russian as well as other languages. So if you know three languages you would go back home with a headache because you'd hear the same thing over and over again. But we, we, re, we realized that this is something that God has established for us. So now we have changed it to one language. So at least the children that are growing up in our community would be comfortable to come to. And anybody who needs translation, they do that. If we go to the next uh, uh, slide. Yeah, so this is our location. You can see the beautiful Sea of Galilee. Uh, not far from us, we actually are located in Kiriatiam, which is which means city by the sea, and um, that's where we are. And our basically vision and desire is to really to reestablish, rediscover the believers of Yeshua in the land of Israel. Think of it: for the last two thousand years, there hasn't been a messianic or Jewish believers of Jesus in Israel at all. This is like a resurrection, a modern-day miracle right before our eyes. And we're seeing more and more Jews who come to faith in Yeshua. And so we have established together with our work four other congregations. Our area is in Galilee. We have one in Haifa, a beautiful Bay Area as well, uh, where uh, Prophet Elijah called the fire upon the Mount Carmel. And uh, we have a city, an ancient city called Akko, which is one city that was never uh, conquered by the Israeli tribes. And so we're trying to conquer it back to Yeshua, a place where there were many spiritual um, uh, idolatry. Nazareth, as you may know. Nazareth is the hometown of Yeshua. Uh, and then also Tiberia by the Sea of Galilee. 
So we have established these four works or campuses, like you may call them, in trying to bring an indigenous expression of faith in Yeshua. So, so we feel like God has called us to be Jews. You know, uh, sometimes I say I'm not a Christian and people get. Uh, the thing is, we sang earlier, God is faithful. See, part of my message, wherever I go and in my life, is to remind people he is faithful. In Isaiah 11, 11, it speaks about like how God will make us into a banner before the nations. You know what that means? That means you're just going to stand as a signpost and say, here I am. God has faithfully brought me out of generations from the land of Ethiopia into Israel. And I am brought back into this nation because of his faithfulness. Not only that, I have come and also embraced his son, Yeshua. That's an amazing, amazing uh, piece of... So we, we, we establish our community in a Jewish way, which is some of the artifacts of our Jewish expression. We try to uh, incorporate it. We celebrate the feasts like biblically. Uh, God has ordained, commanded us. And um, pretty much similar, but we bring the Jewish Jesus into our lives. And so that's, uh, that's what we are. Next, is there another slide? Yeah. So we also do humanitarian aid work. Our focus is mostly for the young generation. You know, my daughter, when she did the uh, bat mitzvah preparation, she, she reads from, there's a, there's a specific reading that you have based on your birthday. So my first daughter, she had an amazing verse, which I won't get into it. But my other daughter really went through this um, search. How can I find Jesus in this Torah? And her portion spoke about when God says, be holy as I am holy. And she had to really connect not just the message and give a commentary about it, but connect it with Yeshua. And, and for her, that experience was a very significant experience. And it's very important for us that our children growing up in Israel would have uh, the best uh, integration to the society. I mean, they're natives. You know, we call them tzabra. You know what tzabra means? Tzabra means as cactus fruit. It's a little bit horny on the outside, but sweet inside. And uh, we try to give them the, the understanding that their faith in Yeshua is, is something that is designed by God, prepared by God, not something that is outside of the Jewish realm, which many people consider today. So for her, it was a very strong experience. So we, we really see that this young generation actually is the one who is ready or groomed by God to receive Yeshua back into Israel. We know he's going to come back. He's going to come back. Unfortunately, he won't come back to New York. I mean, we can reserve a spot for you in Jerusalem. But he, he said he will come back in Jerusalem. And there is one sign that he said. He said, I, you will not see me again until you say, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. And so we are trying to prepare the young generation for that. And basically that's what we are. And this is also to convey that part of the message that I'm going to speak about. Tell the story. Um, we are as church and Israel, sort of an, an identity crisis. And that leads me to the message. And the message that I want to bring to you today is actually a message centered on Yeshua. I'm not going to preach about Israel. I'm not going to mention about the church. That's not my main message. The main message that I want to communicate to you is the person of Yeshua and how we can align our lives to him. And, but if we don't know our identity, we won't be able to connect with our destiny. And there's somewhat some level of crisis in our identity when we look at it in the scriptures. And so I want to speak about that, how we can restore our identity. You know, when you read the scriptures from Book of Acts, you see the first chapter, the second chapter, the third chapter. What happens there? In the Feast of Weeks, group of Jewish believers gather together like Yeshua said to them and they pray together and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them and they go out into the street 
And then they start preaching the gospel. And many thousands came. Most of the people that came were Jews. There has never been a nation more groomed, more prepared to receive the coming of the Messiah as the Jewish nation. There has never been. So for them to come to recognize this Messiah and say that is who he is, that is the one we've been waiting for, should have been very natural. You know, when you think about it, the last prophecy, if you would take out that place in Malachi chapter 4, I think is your Bible. Mine is in 3. Malachi 4. Are you with me? Good. I can't see so much because it's dark here. Um, Malachi 4, 4 to 6. It speaks an amazing uh, scripture. I'll take it out. You have it there. Okay, good. So this is the last prophecy, meaning b- before the transition of the Old Testament into the New Testament, this would be the last sign that God would give to the people of Israel to prepare them for the next era. Right? It's like when you meet with people, sometimes the most important thing they say before you finish the meeting, right? And in a way, God is saving up this really significant thing to tell the people of Israel to prepare them to, to, through this prophet. The last prophecy says like this, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I had commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. And he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth. And what does this mean? God is saying in a way, remember, I have brought to you Moses into your life to establish some statue for you. See, this is not to divorce Israel from what he had given through Moses. It's actually the laws of Moses, the whole word and preparation of Moses was to prepare the people to recognize him in a way he sketched it in the Torah and in the feast. So when Yeshua, Jesus would come, the people of Israel would be able to recognize him. And so he says, remember, that is a relevant course for the next era of your life. Remember the law of Moses, which I have given you. And then he says, I will send you the prophet Elijah. So he says, I have spoken and I will send you a prophetic preparation. When you read through all the prophets, it's an amazing thing how many prophecies speak about Jesus. Psalm 2, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is so vivid, it almost almost says his name and you know in Israel that chapter is called the forbidden chapter because that vividly speaks about Jesus so he says I have spoken to you through the prophets and I have prepared you and then he says now there is going to be a transfer of hearts from the fathers to the sons and from the sons to the fathers what did the fathers have They had a personal relationship with God. And so he says, now the sons will enter into a personal relationship with God. And so remember, this would be the key element for you as you transition. So what happens? Many days later, many years later, Yeshua comes into the scene. And then one day he goes up to the mountain and he transfigures. Who came? Moses and Elijah, they came to meet with him in a way to say, hey, we want to pass the baton to you. See, Moses had the law. That was a relevant part of who Yeshua was. And Elijah came to give that word of prophecy. And they were passing on the baton. You see, every generation has his own wrestling every generation when you look at abraham he's had he had his own wrestling what was his wrestling a successor 
He needed a successor, and that was basically most of his life what he was wrestling for. And then after that, who came? Isaiah. Isaiah also had a wrestling. What was his wrestling? Possession. He wanted the possession that he received from his dad to bear much fruit. So he dug the well of his father in order to become a very wealthy man. And Jacob, Jacob wrestled with his identity. And that's what we'll talk about later. But here we see, again, Moses wrestled so the people of Israel could know the statues of God. Imagine people for 400 years being slaves, coming out of Egypt, and then walking in the desert. His main wrestling was to give them the statues of God. And he did it. In fact, he, he wasn't successful to bring them to the promised land, but at least he gave them the statues. The same way Elijah was passionate, he was jealous to see the true worship of God. So people could experience not just that God was this distant uh, religious entity, but he was a living and powerful God that you can call upon him at, at any time and fire could come upon you. He was jealous. And so he went on to embrace that aspect of it. And now Yeshua. What was Yeshua's wrestling? You know what Yeshua means in Hebrew? Salvation. Salvation. And so in a way in that meeting, Moses and Eliyahu, what's the English name of Eliyahu? Elijah, sorry. Elijah gave him that portion. Now he took it. See, these are things that if Israel would have been able to see, they would have been the first to recognize him. The first to recognize him. So coming back to the book of Acts, you see this was a natural progression. But then all of a sudden, you know when things started to change? When the name of Yeshua brought miracles. Remember when the lame man got healed and the two disciples came out as they were going to pray in the temple? And he pleaded for help. And then they say silver and gold we don't have. But name of Jesus, Yeshua, rise up. Now, that was a big, big statement in the Jewish community. Why? Because no one knows the name of God. No one. Till this day. Do you know how we call Jesus, uh, God in, in Israel? The name. The name. There's another name that is written that says Yud Hey Vav Hey, which is Yahweh, which we all call Yahweh. In Hebrew, you can't even pronounce that. It's almost uh, uh, an abbreviation, an inscribed name. It has the same four letters like Yeshua has, but it, 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 it almost calls for a, a revelation. And so when the disciples recognized that that was the only name on earth that we can be saved, and that was the only name that God gave for the human race to be saved, they went at and used it, maybe overused it, right? They used it where, wherever they went. And, and guess what happened? The religious people began to talk to them and say, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't use the name of Jesus. You can't use it as the name of God. And so do anything, but don't use the name. And that began the separation of the Jewish people from this person named Jesus. Very interesting. By chapter 15 of Book of Acts, you know what happens? So many more Believers from the Gentile people came. You know, it speaks in, in John 1, 20, 21, I think. He came to his own. Why? Because they were prepared. They were his family members. You know, he came from, from, from the descendant of the, the Israelis. And he came to his own, but his own did not accept him. But it says their rejection was able to open up the door for all the nations. For anyone who receives him, they give the chance to become sons and daughters of God. 
And so what happened was when that rejection of the Jewish people began to happen, many more Gentiles came. And you know that confrontation God had with Peter in chapter 10 when, when he showed him all the animals. And he says, rise up, kill and eat. And he says, no, I can't. But, but that was a picture of God really taking this route of bringing in the nations, the Gentile people that had basically no connection, no preparation for the coming of the Messiah. So in chapter 15, there rises a big question. There was a dispute between the disciples, the, uh, the apostles. What was it? They were talking about. So now the Gentiles are coming. Do we convert them to Judaism? Do we circumcise them? Or do we allow them to continue? See, it's very uh, an interesting thing because in their mind at that time, they thought the only way you can come to salvation is if you go the route of being a Jew and then coming to know the Messiah. And the, thankfully, the wisdom of God blocked that and they said, no, they can come as they are. See, that's one of the identities that I want to share with you guys that your roots in faith is Jewish. And it is very important as you celebrate, you know, Independence Day. What do we do on Independence Day? We look back and say, okay, this is where we came from. This is where we are. It is very important because part of knowing your identity is basically looking back into your roots. It's very interesting because when you jump a little bit to a couple of books later, Paul writes this book called Romans, an amazing book. That was the book that basically established me as a believer. And um, how am I doing with time? Go ahead. Yeah. It's a Liberty Day. It's a Liberty Church. Because in the Middle East, time serves us. We don't serve time, you know. So... So anyways, uh, we get to the book of Romans. And so Romans is an amazing book where Paul gets into the depth of how our salvation is basically provided through uh, Yeshua. And you know the book, you know, from the first chapter he speaks about Jesus as human, meaning Jew. And then also Jesus as this divine entity. And he incorporates it in all the writing. And you can go from chapter to chapter. Your hallelujah grows and you get so established. And by the end of chapter 8, you read this an amazing statement. It says, so what can separate us from the love of the Father? No death. No nothing. So he is establishing our identity in Yeshua. But very interestingly, how many, how many time has lapsed, uh, went by from Book of Acts into Romans, do you think? Not so many, right? And then he gets into this chapter 9, 10, and 11. Somewhat unconnected to everything that he's been talking. All of a sudden, from a place of strength and saying, nothing will separate, separate me from the love of the Father. In chapter 9, you know what he says? He says, I have this thing in my heart. And even the Holy Spirit testifies, witness. It's not just my emotional feeling. It's something real, genuine that God even testifies. He said that I may be even accursed from Messiah. In, in, in other words, that I may be even separate. I am willing to be separate you want to read it together? Maybe. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not teaching something false. All right. Sometimes we blink in these verses because we don't want to deal with that. It's a very difficult verse. But let me. Um, chapter chapter one. Sorry, chapter nine of verse one. It says, "I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying." Hmm? It's like he's been lying before. No. But I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing with me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. What was his grief? Because he was seeing that his own brothers and sisters in flesh were really walking away from this truth of Jesus. 
They were denying and cutting themselves any relation with this Messiah. And he says, not only that, he says, for I wish. I could wish that I myself was accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the convents, and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. In other words, they would have been the right fit. See, when God called Abraham, he established a new seed, right? He said, now through you I will bless all the families of the earth. God's original design was to establish this nation, the nation of Israel, and through them to bless all the families of the earth. Now, that didn't go well because at this point, Israel denied the Messiah. And they were being basically away from that. And so he said, it makes me so sad because they have lost their identity they have lost their place, and I am even willing to see myself separate from Yeshua. See, this is not this is not what he this is not a, um, to contradict what he was saying at eight in chapter eight, the end of chapter eight. It's, it's a, when you read it one with one uh, heart, it's very interesting. In one sense, he's saying, "I'm not going. Nothing's going to separate me because it's not the outside influences that will separate me." But inwardly, I am seeing that if my nation, if my people would not recognize their place and their identity in the Messiah, it would be such a loss. I'm willing to give up my salvation for them. Place of identity is very interesting. So from questioning the Gentiles whether where they need to be circumcised, here we're asking the Israelis, did in, in, in uh, chapter 11, he asked this question, so is God done away with, with Israel? They missed it. They blew it. Is he done away with? And so that whole chapter of 11 basically f emphasizes and focuses speaking about how God will use to restore the identity of Israel and the identity of the church to bring greater things. That's basically what the bottom line is. When he says, I am willing to give up on my salvation so that my people will be saved. He knew that they're, they're coming into their right place is very, very essential. See, when, when we really don't know who we are, we tend to replace our identity. Look at Jacob. Jacob knew somehow within himself, maybe not consciously, but in his spirit, he knew there was some destiny that he contended for. Even uh, when he was born, you know, he tried to, you know, you know the word Yaakov or Jacob, we know what it means in Hebrew? It means one who bypasses, right? One who by if you go to Israel, you would know this is the land of Jacob. Because everybody passes by. Honking is like a courtesy. You know, but just people just driving. I know New York is bad. But I don't think it's as bad as Israel. <laughs> All right. So, so here's Jacob recognizing that there's some destiny. But he doesn't know who he is. And he contends. And so he tries to push away and push. And then he comes to this place. And then. Uh, he lives his life basically replacing his identity. Coming to this place of receiving a blessing from his father, Isaac. Isaac. Um, the Hebrew and the English kind of mix up. Guys, by the way, English is not my native language. I may look, but really it's not my native language. So when I speak to you, I'm going through three, four languages translation. So have mercy. Um, so... And here he's coming before his father. And what does he do? He replaces his identity. But his destiny is preserved before the Lord. But unless he comes into his identity, he's not able to embrace his destiny. You see, this is what the church has done in a way. Because what they did was they replaced the place of Israel with the church. They said, oh, God is done with Israel. 
Now, instead of Israel, we have the church. And that's in a way to replace something that God never intended in our identity. And we have the sense of destiny, but we don't really know our place before his coming. And that's the area that I feel like God is wanting to align all of us. And so here comes Jacob all of his life. He's running after something, but he never gets it. Goes to the house of Laban and then finishes his how many years of service. I hope none of you have to go through that. But the guy goes back achieving many things, but not having the contentment. Until one day, it says actually in Genesis 32, God hit him. God initiated the fight. God hit him and he went into the core of his struggle. He basically was struggling and it was a wrestling match in a way that they were needing to touch each other, feel each other. And they, I, don't, I, don't even, I can't even imagine. I've, I've, I've been in many fights in my life. And, and this is not one I can imagine. But he struggled until he lost his physical ability. But his heart was ready to say, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, our identity is sort of the address of the blessing of God in our lives. I'm not talking about physical blessing. I'm talking about the blessing that would lead us to our destiny. And so God struggles with him. And then at the end he says, so who are you now? And then he says, well, I'm Jacob. And that's when Israel was first recognized. See, that's a very key element. And I want to encourage us and, and in our own life, you know, not to replace our identity with something that we are not. See, an identity is something only God could reveal to us. It doesn't come through reading books. It doesn't come through imitation. It doesn't come through any other means. You have to have that encounter with God. Of course, your roots are important. Of course, what you carry with you is important. But you have to have that element of encounter with God so you can have a revelation of who God made you to be. See, that's the first thing. And so here we see in this Romans chapter, Paul is trying to bring together this revelation. So we're saying, okay, the first thing is we cannot embrace this replacement theology, replacement of the Christian with the, the nation of Israel. But what more so, sometimes, you know, the things that we reject when we are in the grace of God actually release blessing. That's what happened. In fact, I think the nations could say thank you to Israel for rejecting the Messiah. Because that brought so much. Bless Let's read it together in, in Romans 11. Romans 11. Is this, is this okay, guys? Okay. Romans 11, verse, I think, 12. I am used to using Hebrew, and it's... Not helping me. All right. I'll pray that you would have a word of revelation. Just do it. Okay, so so let's read 11 and 12. It says, um, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Thank God. Woo! I am, that's like my favorite verse in the Bible. Okay, we almost blew it. But God's grace is unbeatable. You cannot beat God's grace. Even when you're not faithful, he remains faithful. And that's something that we've been singing today. And he says, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation came to the rest of the nations. And he says, now if their fall is riches for the world, try to do the math, okay? Their fall brought riches to the world and their failure... Riches to the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So imagine all the riches that came through. I mean, I can't even. I, one time I started doing 
the things that have come from people who believed in Jesus that invented. Or Israel, things that have come through Israel. The riches that has come through this world because of this rejection is huge. What we see today all the more so. So it's saying that now if their rejection brought so much riches, how much more show their fullness? So what is their fullness? That not, the, not just that will, they will remain Israel disconnected from Jesus, but that somehow the veil from their eyes will be removed. That they may be able to see who he really is and embrace him. You see, when we embrace Yeshua into our life, that is the beginning of coming into the fullness of who we are. Any one of us, individually and also corporately. So it says that because of this, now that they have come, and it says on the other end, look at that, 25. Um, so he's talking now to the Gentiles, right? He's saying, now I do not desire, brethren, okay, um, let's see, okay, um, I'm sorry about the translation. You guys do brethren and stuff like that? Oh, okay. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. He calls it this mystery. You know what other place we, we hear the word mystery? When Paul talks about marriage. The mystery of God. You see, this is what God is trying to do. is trying to bring these two different groups and bring them to realize their own fullness in God, not just there, but so they can come and connect. You see, again, I want to speak a little bit about identity. See, our identity, like I said, is something that we receive by revelation through an encounter with God. That's great. But the next step to that is to know what we are not. Is because our identity is meaningless if we don't have someone we could relate with. Someone we could relate with. So identity requires us, not so that we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, wow, this is who I am. It's so that we can embrace a relationship so through that relationship, things will come to grow. And so here, it's speaking about coming into their fullness and then he says so now their fullness brought salvation to the gentiles and then it says 25 and then he says don't be don't think you're wise but because this has happened so you can cause jealousy to the nation of israel that's your job description in a way is to cause your neighbors to be jealous about you why? Because you have recognized the Messiah. Listen, the search for Messiah in Israel still goes on. If you go into the streets, any street in Israel, you would see big multi-million signs of uh, a rabbi called Schneerson. Actually, he was your hometown here in New York. Um, last I checked, he died and he, he, didn't, he didn't rise up. They claim, many Israelis claim him as a Messiah. See, the, the idea is not so one could say this is the Messiah. It's just the question of who the Messiah is. And so Israel is still looking for the Messiah. Everywhere you go, people talk about, oh, when the Messiah comes, he will do one, two, three. So the search and the hunger for the Messiah is there. And so when you come with this understanding of not coming to convert Jews to become Christians, but to show the love of the Father, His faithfulness upon you, and show that you have a relationship with the Father, that would cause them to jealousy. That would cause them to jealousy. And so in a way, this has been the design of God, one, to establish this relationship so we don't replace who we are. Two, to begin to interact with one another as Jews 
and as Christians. See, in our city, we have humanitarian aid work. And we're, we're not a large community, but we do a significant work in our city. We want to be a very positive, recognized force. When we began our work, actually, it was such a difficult atmosphere. The whole city was against us. They would come while we were doing the service. They would, uh, how do you say, punch our tires, uh, uh, come and take pictures and, and, you know, write articles. It was not a very friendly situation. Actually, one night we were firebombed. The whole community building was firebombed. And so when you pray for fire, just specify which one it is, right? Uh, but we, 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 we were met with such a very strong resistance. Why? Because for a Jew to say, I believe in Jesus, is to deny your identity. That's the replacement that Israel lives today. My family, when I told them that I became a believer, they sat seven days mourning as if I had died. So when we do this work, the city initially was very opposing, but later on they saw that our work continued. Not only that, our work was also supported behind this evangelical Christian world that they never knew of. See, today in Israel, the biggest supporters for Israel are evangelical Christians, not Jewish. And so they began to realize, they, they asked like, so do they really love Israel? Because the history between this Christians and Jews, uh, sorry, uh, Jews and Christians has been filled up with many bad things. And in a way that we are trying to, in order to resurrect the name of Yeshua into the ears of our people, we have to correct the history. And so they began to ask, today, I tell you, in our town, they welcome many Christians who come to volunteer. They actually had a group who prayed with the uh, vice mayor of our town. If I had asked him to pray for him, he probably would say, get out of here. But he was so open to receive a prayer from a Gentile Christian because they are able to recognize genuine love. And so that's what um, God is designing to do that. But... Here it is. The last chapter speaks about mostly this relationship. Paul says, okay, there's the Christian Gentile church and there's this Israel. Now, one doesn't do away with the other. In fact, one is meaningless without the other. Israel is meaningless without the church because it doesn't have any relationship to, to connect with. And I'm sorry to say, but the church, without the understanding and the connection with Israel and the roots of Israel, is not where it's supposed to be. And so, at the end of the chapter, he connects these two groups and he says, so how much more, if their fullness comes together, it will be life from the dead. And so, here's this untapped potential that you and us are standing upon. And the whole chapter speaks about this fostering of a relationship. Speaks like 15 times things that relate to a relationship, but only twice mentioned salvation. Yes, it would lead a lot of salvation, but it would lead to a magnitude of revival that we have not seen before. And so that's what God embedded in us and this relationship that God has given us. And I want to share with you briefly how the Lord brought me to this realization for my own life. You know, I came to Israel when I was 17. I was 17. I say God put a little bit of temporary insanity in my life to make a decision to come to Israel at 17. $50 in my pocket. Didn't have any towel, change of clothes, no nothing. I just came because it was just, I have to come. I come to Israel. It was August, hot, muggy. And Ethiopia, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Ethiopia. It's like spring all year round. It's beautiful. So coming to that weather, do you think I liked it? No. People were not so nice. People spoke as it is. 
niceness was not really something that they wasted time for. But somehow, deep down inside of me, I knew this was the place of my destiny. So with that insanity on me, I made a decision to stay in Israel. My dream would have been to come and live here in some of the hood. But I made that decision. And so for three years living in Israel, my biggest question was, why? Why would we gather all of us? What would be the purpose for my life? And where are you anyways? Because Israel is a very secular country. The mention of God is rare. There's a lot of religion, but rare mention of God. So I won't make it long. Three years later, I was by the Sea of Galilee. That day I was sitting under this lecturer, a psychologist who came to give us some, um, you know, as new immigrants, you have a lot of issues going through. You know, I don't know if any of you are immigrants here, you know, being uprooted from your place of birth and then going into a foreign country. Um, it's, it's, not the, it's not a picnic. So the, the psychologist was coming, coming to soothe and encourage us and, you know, you can do it. And, you know, you're part of this amazing thing. So while he was talking, by then I had been a very devout Jew. The last thing on my mind was Jesus. The last thing. While he was talking, I see this presence that I can't really express to you in any other way. A very tangible, vivid presence come towards me. I'm sitting way in the back and that presence come upon me and just surrounds me and I feel this amazing deep love. And I said, I'm going to go out because people think I'm crazy talking to nobody. So it was right by the Sea of Galilee. I went out, started walking by the seashore and I said, who are you? That was what it, because it was obvious. It was a person. And as I asked him, he revealed himself. He said, I am Yeshua. You have come to Israel not just to connect with your people, but to connect with me. And I have a destiny for you in Israel. That's when my journey of my fullness and my identity as a Jew and a believer, Jesus, began. Actually, it was a very difficult decision because I knew once I made that decision what it would entail with my family, with my workplace. And so I said, one more chance. Give me another sign so I know it's from you. And at that very hour, a group of people were praying. God spoke to them. When I came back from that trip, they waited and they said, God has spoken to us to tell you that Yeshua has called you. So God is faithful to reveal who we are, His destiny. His grace is unbeatable. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.